Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It's the 10th of May, it's Wednesday. Think about your witness on this Wednesday. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so when you think about who you are today and what in the world you're in the world to do, may you hear that clarion call of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you shall be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And for those of you who um, actively participate in this ministry through your financial support, um, you're doing that. You are doing that right now to the ends of the earth as this goes forth over the Faith Radio app and streaming at MyFaithRadio.com and people are listening um, around the world. And so thank you for being here and thank you for being a part of this ministry. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 27, verse 4. As I read this, I want you to consider the one thing, if you could only ask God for one thing, and when you start your prayers, what's the one thing you start with? Like, what, what's your one thing? This is David's one thing. Psalm 27, verse 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. What's your one thing? If you could only... Ask one thing of the Lord. What would it be? The Bible reveals a time when God actually granted that opportunity to a person. His name was Solomon. Solomon could have asked for anything. Power, money, fame, fortune, long life, generations of descendants. Solomon could have asked to be remembered by people living thousands of years after him. But what did Solomon ask for? He chose to ask God to give him an understanding heart, the gift of wisdom, so that he could make good decisions for the people God had entrusted to his care. Oh, and by the way, after giving Solomon the desire of his heart, wisdom, uh, God also gave Solomon all those other things that I mentioned, power, money, fame, fortune, long life, generations of descendants, and oh, here we are talking about him thousands of years after his earthly life. So let me ask again, above all else, I mean, genuinely, in the depths of your heart of hearts, do you want God most, the knowledge of him, fellowship with him, his kingdom, his righteousness? God tells us that David was a man after his own heart. David loved God. David sought God. And yes, David also sinned. It is notable that Solomon is the second child born to David and Bathsheba. God is a redeeming God. The gospel is the reality in which we live. God redeemed David's life and his legacy, and David raised Solomon to love God. 
And when given the opportunity to ask God for anything, Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, asked for wisdom, the mind and the heart of God in the matters of his day, that he might steward well the life and the opportunity that God had given him. What about us? Well, Jesus says we can ask whatever we want in his name. Does that mean anything? I mean, is God like a genie in a bottle? Jesus, the magical key that we, you know, rub God's belly with? No, 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 no. That is not what Jesus means. To ask God for anything in Jesus' name means we are asking in the spirit of Jesus, aligned with the mind of Jesus. If Jesus were here and he were us, these are the things he would be asking of God. So ask for anything Jesus would ask for. And what does Jesus ask the Father? Well, that would make a good exploration of the Gospels today. What did Jesus actually ask the Father in prayer? May we have the wisdom of Solomon and the mind of Christ as we seek today God in our prayers. David says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. And Jesus says to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things, the things that you need in this life will be added unto you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Next up, Daryl Crouch is going to be here. We're going to talk about how um, the church can respond when tragedy strikes a community. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Daryl Crouch is joining us now. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, Carmen. It's great to hear from you. Oh, it's good to talk with you. Um, I, I want to explore this um, conversation about how churches in a particular community, in a city, can come together to weep with those who weep when tragedy strikes, um, when disaster strikes, and, and questions arise. So can we just roam around in this topic? Yeah, I think we should, and I appreciate you giving space for it. Um, I think many times in church life and in church culture, we um, we talk about victory a lot. We we talk a, a lot about uh, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and and that is very very true. I don't know that we're always prepared to grieve well. We we know that when we lose a loved one, there's grief, and it's very awkward. Uh, but but public grief is is um, is a different kind of thing and something unfortunately is all too common now and so I think it is important that we have the conversation that we uh, return to the scripture and uh, reminded in Psalm thirty four that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted He does not run away from our grief He is not aloof when we're grieving. He is not overwhelmed um, by the the things that overwhelm us, and and we we should be overwhelmed by what we've seen at Covenant School, by what we've seen in Texas this last weekend. We it is overwhelming to us, and we're not always sure how to respond um, well. And uh, but the Lord is not confused about that, and He um, is near to us, and so. 
I think um, for us to have the conversation, create the space to say, what what does public grief look like? What does we talk about uh, theology in the public square? Uh, certainly, uh, we want to influence culture and we want to shape culture and all the things. But um, when our neighbors are are grieving, uh, we we want to be um, near as well, and we we don't want to run away from that or uh, paper over that in some way. And so it is important that we step into it rather than away from it, um, that we um, sit with people, uh, much like Job's friends did. I know he they they um, they get a lot of criticism, but they did uh, show up and sit with him um in in his grief uh for an extended period of time and uh we're all tempted to kind of become like job's friends over time and 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 we and become weary of it so i just think we have a lot to learn about public grief and but we should know that the lord is near to the brokenhearted that he does heal and bind up our wounds and uh he is our strength uh blessed are those who mourn uh that is still true and uh, we we want to come alongside our neighbors and grieve with them well. It seems as if there are, um, I mean, there's probably a whole range of responses, but it, they seem to fall into two categories. One is this necessary, absolutely observant attention to the grief of those directly affected. But then there also seems like there is also immediately um, – people who want to find something or someone, ordinarily something, to blame, and then they want to uh, press forward on some uh, political agenda or some policy related to that. When we talk about the calling of the church in a community, can you differentiate between those two issues or maybe express to us how we do have a calling in both of them? A really, really good observation, and I think all of us are bent in certain ways to respond differently to tragedy, whether it's personal or public. In this case, it's public, and um, certainly for those families affected, it's very personal as well, and it's played out in the public square, which just makes it even more complicated and overwhelming for those families, I'm sure. Um, and many of them, it's amazing how uh, incredibly, um, um, I don't know, um, tenderly that they have responded in the public square, those that have lost, uh, particularly here in Nashville, we've heard from so many of them, and God has been glorified and honored, I think, in so many ways. But yes, our tendency is to, uh, to, to, to go one way or the other. And I think f- for us, much of, much of where we are today, I think is is because of um, we're, we're prone to division. We're 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 prone to um, draw lines in the sand, and um, over the last few years, those those lines have become pretty pre- prevalent. I mean, there's just a lot of si- lines drawn. The sand is filled with lines, and and I think we have isolated ourselves because of that. And so um, when we grieve, uh, now we often find ourselves grieving in camps that we've created. 
We're grieving in our own tribe. We're often grieving alone because we've isolated ourselves from the larger community of faith and sometimes the larger community um, in, in where, where we live uh, outside of um, our Christian community. And so um, I think the to, to recognize uh, what what is it that in this moment of grief that we can agree on? What is it that, that we all can acknowledge that, first of all, our hearts are broken? Uh, we can also acknowledge that we're afraid. I think fear is um, is a huge motivator for us. And because we don't want this happening to us, we are mad that it happened to anyone. We believe that it's preventable and that no one has prevented it. We're not sure who should prevent it. And so there's confusion that goes with that. So I think to be honest with ourselves about a few things, that we're mad, we're sad, we're afraid, um, we're at a loss for, you know, we don't have the wisdom that we feel like we need. And just acknowledge that, hey, this is this is a, a very difficult situation. And and I think if we'll just be honest with ourselves and, and to say those things out loud, put them out there, in, in our own context, um, then, then we, we, we can find solutions. You know, public policy uh, is important. Legislation is important. Um, and there's there's a lot of opportunity for growth in those areas, I'm sure. But um, I think if we run to those things, we simply find ourselves alone again. And so it becomes this vicious cycle of uh, the loneliness that has created uh, such, um, you know, despair and anger simply feeds itself and if we're not careful. So I think at some point, uh, Carmen, the people of God have to just stop and say the, you know, that we are, we are sinners. We have failed. Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, as Isaiah said. I, 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 that the man in the mirror uh, needs some attention right now in terms of uh, his or her response to the Lord. And um, so I think um, to, to acknowledge um, the condition of our hearts first and then um, grieve well with one another um, and um, try to remove the lines and the barriers that we've created uh, and then work together for some solutions. Um, there's some things immediately we can do, um, but most of the solutions that you know that we uh, that we want will take a minute. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think I heard, and I'll, I'll finish. I think I heard someone say, you know, you it took you ten years to gain all that weight, and you think you're going to lose it in ten days. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the some of the weight that we've gained over the last decade is going to take a minute. We're going to continue our conversation with Daryl Crouch. We're, we're talking about how to build relationships with other Christians in our city in preparation for coming crises so that we as the body of Christ would be well prepared to respond well. Um, so what kind of that will never happen worst case scenario planning have you done in your community of faith? Um, how much that will never happen worst case scenario planning um, have you done at your church? Like, are you prepared to be the people of Christ responding well when disaster comes? Because disaster is always coming. 
That's up next. Tomorrow mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Continuing our conversation with Daryl Crouch, you can find all kinds of resources um, for you to be equipped to respond well in your own community and to actually um, organize uh, with other Christians with whom you develop relationships to respond to the needs, um, you know, right where you are. You can see how they're doing it in Wilson County at everyoneswilson.org. Um, let's talk about building relationships, Daryl. Uh, like, we all we all hope these things will never happen um, I'm guessing that, you know, after building relationships with other Christians in, in your city, in your county, you guys have had some conversations about, all right, when disaster comes, um, you know, how are we going to organize ourselves? Who's going to do what? Who's in, who's in the best position to respond in particular ways? Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because there's some organization that's required in advance of the coming disaster. Really good question, and I really appreciate you asking it. And it's really exciting to me because it I know that um, there's a desire for us uh, in a community, uh, whether you're a church leader or a faithful Christian, uh, uh, somebody in the public square, a marketplace leader, uh, we care about our community. And so uh, we, we feel like when there is a, a tragedy of some kind, whether that's a weather-related uh, disaster, or something else um, uh, more insidious, um, like what we've seen uh, these last few weeks, um, we really do want to respond well. And um, so it is important that uh, people take initiative now to build the relationship network that they need to sustain the solutions um, in their own communities. And so uh, for pastors to particularly, and this is my, my particular bent, is a challenge to pastors to get to know one another, to learn to like each other, and then to grow, grow to love each other deeply. That relational network, and it's very organic. It can be organized. Uh, organic doesn't mean it's not organized or there's not any structure around it. But that network of relationships between pastors that then extends uh, to uh, public officials, educators, marketplace leaders like the Chamber of Commerce, those those that intentionality now that uh, pastors have with one another and with folks in the public square pays incredible dividends when there's a need in the community and so uh, when that relationship network is built uh, lines of communication are are established that's a, as simple as email addresses um uh, phone numbers so that text message threads can be Acquired, maybe there's other um, like group me apps or or you know certain communication apps, whatever that may be, Slack or whatever it is that um, people can employ so that communication happens fast. So even in the case with the Covenant uh, shooting, uh, our community is uh, not directly affected or not directly tied to the Covenant School, but we have so many people in our community that that do have connections there and that were deeply affected. So we were able to, uh, just in 24 hours, gather our community at the city square, or kind of a, a central place in our city uh, for prayer, 
And it was a powerful time and a few hundred people showed up and people needed the space and the proximity. They also need to see unity. Uh, they just need to see people loving each other. And so we were able to do that. And certainly a few years ago when a tornado uh, came through our community, that was the case as well. So I think you can't minimize the effort you make now in building that relationship network. Having served um, in a church uh, on a barrier island, uh, like our preparedness stuff centered around natural disasters for the most part, um, tornado, earthquake, flood, this was my list I made this morning, drought, wildfire, hurricane, derecho, blizzard, volcanic eruption, mudslide, heat wave, avalanche, hail, ice, like natural disasters, right? And then these human-caused disasters, mass casualty shootings or bombings or even war, like we have to be a network in advance. Um, I'm going to add one thing to your list. Um, you should have a, a ICE contact, an in-case-of-emergency contact for every single one of the pastors in your network. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have information to contact their spouse or an adult child or a brother or sister, depending on like who their person is, then... When something happens to them, all you have is their contact info, and that's a dead end sometimes. So, so my encouragement, yeah. yeah, my encouragement is add that ICE contact in there for every single person in your network. So good, and so. Uh, you know that you've got a little experience at this, and so uh, I think. Um, oh yeah, we I had a red, we had a red folder, man. <laughs> yeah. Because you got it. Because when we leave the island, I mean, our thing was when you were the last person heading over heading over the bridge, and we, you know when there's a mandatory evacuation, you can't rely on a cell phone network, and you can't rely on anybody's local contact info. So you got to know where your people are headed when they cross that bridge. Um, yeah. You got to know where they're going so you can actually check and see if they made it. Like it's anyway. So there you go. Every every locality has their own way they have to approach this. Um, but, you know, I want the body of Christ to be a body, not just individually, individual churches, but like you, you know, I want the body of churches to see itself as a network in every community. So I, I love talking with you about these things and so appreciate you. Well, it means a lot. And you're right. Every context is different and unique. And the needs are, uh, you can't predict all the needs. Uh, you've made a great list, but there, you know, we had a heat wave come through last year. And so a lot of families uh, did not have air conditioning. And so the mm -hmm. schools reached out to us during the summer and said, hey, can we do something? And so I just think that the needs are very uh, unpredictable. But when you have the relationships um, and you know who to, you know, people know who to reach out to, it makes all the difference. Yeah. Being the being the church or the collection of churches that, you know, are, are the school's first call, man, that's huge. That's just huge evidence right there. All right, we got to leave it right there, Daryl. As always, we've run out of time. I love talking with you, brother. Thank you so much. I, it's, it's mutual. God bless. <laughs> Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. All right, um, Mother's Day is upon us. It is this weekend. Um, so in my own life, this happens to be like a, a, a mixed bag weekend in so many ways. This is also um, the the weekend. It was the Saturday of Mother's Day weekend when I was 15 that um, that my dad died. And so this has always been the mixed bag weekend for me. I love my mom. I will celebrate uh, with her this weekend. Um, but it's always 
bittersweet um, because of what this weekend also represents in the life of our family. So I want to um, have a conversation with you about like that reality, that for each and every person, this weekend is a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and I want us to be tending well to one another and recognizing that, um, you know, Mother's Day is like wonderful and complex and often deeply conflicted. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We are connecting faith to life here at Faith Radio. And here on Mornings with Carmen, we're seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. And so what matters today in your life? And how are you anticipating, approaching, preparing for, um, seeking to avoid, whatever uh, whatever your answer to the question is uh, here, related to Mother's Day? So when I tell you that Mother's Day is this weekend, it's, today's Wednesday, so Mother's Day is, is Sunday. Um, positive, warm, gushing emotions or um, sweat, acid reflux, pain, emptiness, like what's your visceral reaction to the reality that uh, Mother's Day is this weekend? Mother's Day for, uh, you can text me, by the way, text line's always open, 877-933-2484, if you want to share on this topic. Um, Mother's Day is wonderfully complex. It's also deeply conflicted for many people. And so as I was thinking about particular individuals um, and their life experience in relationship to Mother's Day, um, I am thinking about those people for whom there is an empty chair, um, an empty high chair in particular. They have experienced in their family the death of a child. Um, Or maybe you've experienced, you know, in this year, the death of your mom. There's an empty chair. Mother's Day is conflicted. Maybe the chair is empty because your child has severed the relationship. And so in addition to there being an empty chair, your heart is, has this empty space. Um, maybe there's not a severed relationship. It's just that your, your child or your children have drifted away. Um, their hands are full with other things. And so um, their attention to you over time as a mother um, you know, has waned and you're experiencing grief related to that. Maybe for you, it's that you're going to get a card on Mother's Day and maybe flowers, but it's empty words, and you know it in your heart of hearts. That there is an attempt to feign a real relationship by the giving of a card or the observing of, you know, taking you to church one Sunday of the year but it's empty words. And maybe for you, it is an empty womb. Maybe you're not a mom because of infertility, or you never had the opportunity to become a mom, or you've had a miscarriage, 
or an abortion? I mean, a million women in America have an abortion each year. So 50 million in the 50 years we've been actively practicing it. But in that same time, um, on average, there are a million miscarriages in America every year. And so it's two million women every year that lose a child during pregnancy. That's a lot of people around us grieving the loss, even if it's a loss you know, that, uh, you know, in terms of abortion that they're, they're responsible for, but it's a loss nonetheless. Maybe it's um, not an empty womb. You had a baby, but there's an empty room because you gave that child up for adoption. And Mother's Day is complicated for you. It's even conflicted. So whatever the maternal complication is on this Mother's Day weekend, empty chair, empty heart, empty hand, empty hope, empty words, empty womb, empty room, I want us to consider all of it, each and every one of those very real and very conflicted circumstances, view each of them and all of them through the reality of the empty tomb. Empty chair, empty heart, empty hand, empty hope, empty words, empty womb, empty room, empty tomb. The most important thing that any of us can do for each other is, is, is to point one another to the reality of the risen Christ. And I am not suggesting that we treat any of these very conflicted often traumatic, grief-filled maternal losses. I'm not suggesting we treat any of them with some sort of like deluge of trite Bible verses. That I'm not, I'm not talking about heaping suffering upon a suffering person. That, that is not what I'm saying. I am saying that we stand with one another in very uncomfortable silence in a garden before a gaping hole wondering together what God might be doing that we cannot right now see. So who do you know? Who do you know? I want you to come up with a name here. Who do you know for whom Mother's Day is complex and conflicted? Who do you know who faces an empty high chair? or an empty chair at their table because of the death of a child or the death of their mom? Who do you know who has an empty heart and maybe even a sense of empty hope because they have children who have severed their relationship with them? Or moms whose children have drifted away because, and, and their hands are full with lots of other things and so they're no longer you know, reaching out a hand to their mom because their hands are full. Who do you know for whom Mother's Day will mean a card and an annual visit and flowers, but there'll be empty words and everybody knows it. 
And then, yes, who do you know who has an experience of an empty womb, maternal loss of every variety? Women who aren't moms because of infertility or they never had the opportunity to become a mom or they have lost a child to miscarriage or abortion. Who do you know? Because, and, and women who have given children the gift of life but don't have the privilege of being their moms, like they have graciously given those children up for adoption, there is still an emptiness there. And Mother's Day is conflicted. So who do you know? And then how are you going to stand with that woman in the uncomfortable silence of a garden before a gaping hole and just wonder together what God might be doing that we cannot see. The Lord promises a day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Revelation 21 verse 4. I mean, the Lord promises a day. The day is coming when he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. But today's not yet that day. I mean, it's a little bit like we say, you know, the day is coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But friends, today is not that day. Today, tears fall. And so what does it look like for you and I to be present in the midst of that pain? As ambassadors of Christ, as agents of grace, as ministers of reconciliation, as fellow believers, as sisters and brothers, wiping away the tears in the spirit of the risen Christ. What does that look like? I mean, one day Jesus is going to do it himself, but right now he's got you and me. So just, you know, the numbers are staggering, but every single one of these numbers, a million abortions a year, a million miscarriages a year, Add to that the families who have lost a child to violence or accidents, overdoses, suicide, disease, cancer. you got a lot of grieving people on Mother's Day and on Father's Day. So I just want us to think for a moment about the hope of the gospel. And what is the hope of the gospel? If not for those whose earthly plans have run dry. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. When we talk about the walk of faith or walking by faith or taking each step of life with the good shepherd, we imagine ourselves as sheep walking with him. Or maybe we see ourselves in the disciples with Jesus walking from town to town throughout the land we call holy. Every Christian wants to walk where Jesus walked, but not everyone's going to get to go to Israel. So if you want to see the holy land the way it might have looked through the eyes of Jesus, take a journey with Max Lucado. We're giving away a copy of his new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior, every day in May. Thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. It's the every day in May giveaway, so enter today at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you for those of you checking in on the text line this morning. Um, you can join the conversation, 
8-4, the friend saying, I had to sever the relationship with my mom because it was toxic and it is so hard. Um, it's so hard for those of us who are moms. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the list here is long. I'm going to read through some of them. Um, Anita says, emptiness. I lost my mom in a car accident two days before Christmas in 1986. I was 16. She was a deeply faithful woman, so that comforts me. But it's been hard not having her with me in my life all this time. Amen. We have another um, friend on the text line. Uh, Please pray for a friend who just lost their 20-month-old toddler to a farm accident last Saturday evening. Oh, God. Comfort them. Grant your grace. Think about all those little toddler to those T2 clothes, right? That probably in the laundry basket. Like, what do you do? Do you, do you wash them and put them away? I mean, do you, what do you, what do you do? Remember the grave clothes that were left behind in the empty tomb? Like, I mean, what do you do? Christine says, this is my first Mother's Day without my sweet mom. What a blessing to have been hers for 71 years, but I miss talking with her. And having her pray for me. Amen. Thank you, Christine. Anne says, my dad was always the one who organized our Mother's Day celebration. um, And he passed away in January. Yeah, Anne, so this is going to be hard because you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to do that this year, right? A friend saying, my mom died on my birthday. And so I get that very mixed blessing. Um, testimonies here about abortion, about um, the loss of a child, about not being able to have children because of an early hysterectomy. Thankfulness to, uh, to God for the mom who brought a child into the world and provided a way for this family to have a family through adoption. Deborah saying, I'm, uh, I was blessed with a Christian mother. I'm so thankful for that. I want us to have tender hearts going into this weekend um, because Mother's Day isn't just a day, like, right? I mean, we all know that. Um, I mean, hopefully you're celebrating your mom all the time. Um, even if you don't have a great relationship with her or your relationship um, is utterly toxic, um, she gave you life, and for that, um, we are grateful. And so I'm mindful of that. I, I'm mindful that not everyone is a mom, has the privilege of becoming a mom in the traditional sense of the term, but everyone has a mom. And, um, and then I also want to remind us of this, and again, this is not, I mean, this, I, you know, I'm coming to you as a person who never had children of my own, right? So <laughs> I'm coming to you. Uh, with a testimony here, right? Um, I celebrate the generations of women in my family. Um, my mom, Ruth Ann, is such a blessing to me, and I feel so privileged um, to know her as an adult. Like, it's such a delight. Um, she's so precious. And I am so thankful for her mother. I mean, I really feel like my grandmother, Robina, Robina Ringwald Benefield. I really feel like she's my 
spiritual mom. Like she's my spiritual mentor. Like she's the she's the Christian I want to grow up to be. Um, and I'm so thankful, although I never had the privilege of meeting or knowing my grandmother Robina's mother. I'm so thankful for her because that's the woman who poured into my grandma so that she could pour into my mom so that she could pour into me so that I could pour into others. And so let's be grateful and thankful for the women in our family tree, even if right now you feel like you're on a broken branch of it. Um, And then, and again, um, you know, speaking to you as a person who's not a mom in the traditional sense of the word, every Christian is a mom. I mean, every, like, I don't want to use the term real Christian. That doesn't sound right. Every genuine disciple of Jesus is a reproducing disciple. And that means that we are godmothers. We are spiritual moms to other Christians. If you're, if you're a Christian, then there should, be a gen, there should be generations, not one, but there should be generations of female disciples to whom you can point on this Mother's Day as your own. The woman who uh, led you to Christ, and then you who've led others to Christ, and then the women that you've led to Christ leading others to Christ, like, let's celebrate that on this Mother's Day. I'm not making um, light of the importance of motherhood. Not at all. We are going to absolutely celebrate moms and motherhood. And I'm not making light of, um, of the pain or the loss of a child or childlessness. But I am challenging us to reframe all of it through the lens and the perspective of a God who is sovereign whom we can trust with all things to know far better than we know what is best. Um, Circling all the way back around to the very early conversation we had today about Solomon, when I mentioned that he's the second son of David and Bathsheba, we ought to remember the loss of the first. When you think of the first generation of Jesus's followers, when you think of that first generation of Jesus followers, there's lots of women named in scripture who are followers of Jesus. And, and we certainly know there were more in the company of the 120 um, who were present uh, on Pentecost. When you think of the first generation of Jesus followers, who were women? Do you think of them as barren, childless? <laughs> or do you think of them as Mothers in the faith, sisters in Christ who have gone before us. I acknowledge that Mother's Day is tremendously complex and often conflicted for many people. But I want to encourage you today to let it be a day redeemed of the Lord. Let it be a day reframed by the empty tomb not an empty womb. And let it be a day reframed as spiritual moms to generations of Christians yet to be born. Or maybe better said, yet to be born again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. 
So much wisdom um, pouring forth on the text line this morning. Um, thank you so much. A friend in Alabama checking in say, you know, I, I got a complicated relationship. Um, my mom has a complicated relationship with eight of her children because we grew up in an orphanage. Um, and that's that's another that's just a pain I can't imagine, um, not only for that mom, but for those kids. And so I'm going to be thankful for. I'll put air quotes around this moms along the way. Let's be thankful today for the women who cared for us as a good mom in the spirit of a good, good father um, all along the way. Whoever those women were who wiped our cheeks and made food for us and helped us get to the place we are today. Um, yeah, thank you um, so very much for each and every. There's so many people checking in on the text line, so thank you um, so much. Um, I love this one. Um, I'm, I'm relating to Mary, the mother of Jesus, talking about treasuring and pondering things in her heart. I believe that has somehow something to do with motherhood and just the treasure of being a mom, as complex and complicated as it is, recognizing that often the time comes when our own soul is pierced as well. I remember when... Um, uh, my niece Mia like actually participated in her first um, Easter egg hunt. And my sister like snapped a picture and sent it to me on the phone. Little, little tiny little toddler, right? Easter basket, almost as big as her dragging the ground. And, you know, and it's, it's from behind, like, you know, and she, and my sister, you know, texts and she's like, I, I, I didn't anticipate what this would feel like. My heart is walking away from me outside of my body. Um, And so, moms today, our hearts um, are with you. We're praying for um, the complex and conflicted experiences that many people will have this Mother's Day weekend. Um, Let's just be thankful. Let's find space and time to be thankful. And yes, let's be gracious to stand silently before the empty tomb, that gaping hole for people who experience this particular weekend with a sense of grief and great loss. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.